Welcome in to another episode of Behind the Plate presented by Baseball America. I'm your host, Kyle Glazer. We're very, very happy to be back with you this week for the third episode of Behind the Plate. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Our first week, we had Dodgers area scout Tom Kunis join us. He was the signing scout for James Outman, Tony Gonsolin, among a number of other players. Last week, we had Dan Ramsey, a Pacific Northwest area scout for the Diamondbacks. He was the signing scout for Corbin Carroll and Ryan Nelson. And this week, we're very happy to be joined by giant Southern California area scout Brad Cameron. Brad has a really interesting history. Uh, he played at San Diego State, where he was teammates with Tony Gwynn and Bud Black, among others. Uh, took an interesting detour outside of baseball professionally, we'll get into, uh, but then made his way back into the game as a scout, first with the Orioles as an associate scout in 1990. He's now been a scout for 33 years, signed a couple of big leaguers, uh, among them notably was Matt Duffy. And the reason we brought Brad on today is because he is the signing scout for Casey Schmidt. Uh, the Giants drafted Schmidt in the second round out of San Diego State in 2020. And Schmidt made his major league debut this year and has been uh, incredibly impactful early here for the Giants. We wanted to bring Brad on to discuss his career and what he saw in Casey Schmidt, what the process was for signing and scouting him. Brad was kind enough to join us from his home in Los Alamitos today. Brad, glad to have you. Thank you, Kyle. It's my pleasure. Obviously, the reason we wanted to have you on was because you were the signing scout for Casey Schmidt, who was off to a red-hot start in his major league career for the Giants. Um, but before we talk about Casey, I want to dive into your background a little bit. Uh, you know, we talk so much about scouts have different pathways to their current jobs. Uh, some guys leave the game for a while, get back into it. Uh, there's kind of a kind of an interesting history of scouts who've had odd jobs in between the time maybe they were done playing or coaching when they got into scouting. Uh, you have a particularly interesting one. Uh, you San Diego State, where your teammates included Bud Black and Tony Gwynn. But after your playing career was over, there was a little bit of a gap before uh, you jumped back into baseball. Uh, take us through what you did after your playing career ended at SDSU. Yeah, that's correct, Kyle. Uh, after uh, my playing career was over at San Diego State, um, basically a few years later, got married, started a family, uh, went to work for Delta Airlines, and was there for about eight years. Um, I was a baggage handler. Wasn't really a career that I really wanted to pursue. Uh, I ran into an old friend of mine named Rick Arnold, who was a scout for the Baltimore Orioles. And I told him that I would love to get back into baseball. He goes, well, why don't you come work for me and, and we'll get, we'll get you going. So I worked as an associate scout for three years with Rick Arnold and then was built a reputation where I then finally got hired as the Cleveland Indians in 1994. Yeah. You know, the scouting world with Rick, what were some of the main things he kind of taught you as you were learning under him as an associate? <laughs> He taught me a lot. Um, I'll never forget. Um, we're sitting at Long Beach State one day, and we're watching Chris Gomez um, from from Long Beach State shortstop. And I turned to Rick and I said, "This guy's never going to play in the big leagues." And he goes, "I guarantee you, one hundred percent, this guy's going to play in the big leagues." And I go, "I don't see it. He doesn't hit." And Rick goes, "Well." He can play short, and he can play short in the big leagues, so that means he's going to play in the big leagues. And sure enough, he had like a 14-year career in the big leagues. So I learned a lot from Rick. I, that was a good lesson to learn early in my career. Yeah, hey, Chris Gomez, starting shortstop on a World Series team, nonetheless, yeah. with the, the 1990 yep. Padres, yep. certainly had a, a long career. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We talk about a lot of guys, if they get through their playing career and they move into scouting, Sometimes the gap is, you know, one year, two years, a, a couple times you get five or six. Eight years away from the game is a long time. The game changes, especially so much, even in just a few years. 
Yeah, as far as the game goes, I, it, I there was I didn't have any uh, problems, you know, with the game at all. But evaluating players is where I needed help. I didn't really know how to evaluate players, and that's where Rick Arnold helped me a lot to in the, in the beginning to learn how to evaluate players. Yeah, aside from uh, he can play shortstop, he can play in the big leagues. What were some of the foundational things that, that Rick taught you that have maybe served you well over what's now been a 33-year career as a scout? Uh, just show up every day, go to work every day, work hard, um, do your best. Um, any, as you gain experience over the years, you get a little bit – well, you gain experience over the years, so it makes the job a little bit easier. But evaluating players um, has been a process, and I'm still learning – still willing to learn on evaluating players. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an ever-evolving process. And there's always lessons to be yeah. learned. That's for darn sure. So yeah, you're with the Orioles as an associate. You mentioned you built a reputation. What would you say that reputation was that ultimately led you to get hired by the uh, then the Cleveland Indians full-time in 1994? I just think other scouts and scouting directors um, would see me at games all the time. Because um, I took a midnight job at Delta in the mailroom so I could scout in the afternoon. And I, I went to games every day and people saw that. And um, that's how I built my reputation and the area code games in 1994. Uh, Cleveland Indian scouting director came up to me and gave me a short interview and goes, I got good news and bad news. I go, what's the, what's the bad, what's the good news? He goes, I have a position for you. And I go, great. I go, what's the bad news? And he goes, it's in four corners. And I go, I got to talk to my wife about that, but I'll get back to you. <laughs> so I took the position so for, for two years and my family stayed back here in Southern California, but uh, it was worth it because I was eventually transferred back to Southern California. I've been here ever since. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big sacrifice moving away from your family for two years. What was that dynamic and how did you guys make it work? It's like a lot of, a lot of people in baseball struggle with being away from your family. Yeah, um, I wore out the 10 freeway, I'll tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> driving from Phoenix to Southern California um, to be back to see my kids play baseball and this and that. But, you know, it was it was a little bit rough, but um, it was worth it in the long run. Yeah, I mean, Southern California, you have so much talent concentrated in, you know, a relatively small geographic area. We talk about, oh, the drive from uh, Santa Barbara to San Diego is hours. It's a long time, but... You know, some scouts in the Midwest driving 10 hours across multiple states. Uh, yeah. Moving to the four corners where the talent is, is definitely spread out a little bit more and you've got a lot more ground to cover. How much was that experience kind of, you know, formative in, in your life as a scout? Well, back back then in the 90s, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have GPS. We had Thomas guides. Yep. And I had I had like eight Thomas guides in the trunk of my car for every state that I had to cover. At Arizona, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico. And so you'd sit down in the morning and plan out your trip with the Thomas guides and and just go. You know, we're talking 16 hours, 12 hours, you know, and you just you just go watch players. That's what we did. Made it a lot easier when we got GPS though. <laughs> did you find you had to recalibrate a little bit? Because again, you know, in Southern California, there's just so so much talent and, and guys tend to be so much further advanced than the rest of the country. Did you find you had to recalibrate a little bit, seeing guys who are maybe a little more raw from the four corners? Because Arizona is great talent now, but at that time it wasn't quite at the same level. Yeah, I mean, 
players have changed over the years. They got have way more opportunity to play in the summer now and to play year round. Back then, you played, you may have played football or basketball, and then went into baseball, which a lot of kids do. But now, now kids will mainly just play baseball twenty, you know, twenty four seven. So, as far as recalibrate, recalibrating, no, I didn't really run into that. You just go out and watch players. If they have tools, then they have tools. If they don't, then they don't. You know, you mentioned being with the Indians at that time. You joined them in 1994. It's right before they went on their their fantastic historic run, uh, 1995, mm-hmm. 1997, reached the World Series. And those mid-90s Indians are, are really some of the best in, in recent memory. And one of the things that really stood out about them is their scouting and player development was just so, so, so good. John Hart was the general manager at the time. Um, what did you learn being a part of that organization? Because that's generally renowned as, as one of the best scout groups, really, in, in recent history. Well, the Indians back then were super aggressive um, in their drafts. They used to draft high school players, and um, I think they they made some really good picks back in that day. In that day, because they were they were so aggressive, and um, they were a little bit constrained with money, but um, they still were able to make good picks. Jesse Flores was my West coast supervisor back then. And he did a fantastic job of continuing my education on, um, on, on scouting players too. Yeah. I mean, Jesse Flores, uh, you know, that's, that's a legend, uh, you know, in scouting circles, you talk about learning from Rick yeah. Arnold, learning from Jesse. I mean, how formative were the, these old scouts for you? Cause it, I mean, <clears throat> so much of the knowledge of this game is passed down. Uh, unbelievable help. Those, those guys, those old timers, I'm considered an old timer now, but I wasn't back then. But I learned a lot from those guys about their work ethic, how they go about their business, you know, the, the relationships they make with the, the, the players and the players' families and the coaches, the relationships that they have with the coaches, the high school and college coaches. That's huge. Absolutely. So you spend your time with the Indians, uh, you move over with the Twins for a little bit, then you head over to the mm-hmm. Pirates. In 2008, you joined the Giants scouting staff as a Southern yep. California area scout. How did the opportunity with the Giants come about? Uh, well, I had just gotten let go by the Pirates, um, and most scouts don't always get let go at some point in their career. Um, so I was out of work for a while, but Ed Creech um, came to my rescue. He was a scouting director for um, – no, I got hired by um, – I was working for the twins and um, as a, as an associate again, because I had gotten let go by the Indians. And so uh, I was back doing as an associate um, started, basically started over again, um, was recommended by um, a good friend of mine, Bill Melly to um, Ed Creech, the scouting director for the pirates. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed with Ed and he hired me and it's, he was a, um, a blessing really. Cause uh um, yeah, I just, I, I'm so grateful for Ed for hiring me back. Yeah. You're with the pirates for four years doing Southern and central California. And then you ended up, uh, getting hired on with the giants in 2008. How did that one come about? Um, well, the pirates, the, the, the pirates let me go and Ed Creech. Uh, there, we had, there was a little, uh, hiccup in the scouting department at that, at that year. And, uh, Ed Creech went over to the giants Ed Creech recommended me to John Barr. I interviewed with John Barr, and John Barr hired me right on the spot. So. Nice. You know, that's obviously an organization that um, had a lot of history, and 
you know, was was relatively well known as as one of the the bigger, more brand name organizations in baseball. Did you notice any significant differences in how they operated compared to maybe some of the smaller market teams you'd worked for previously? Oh, 100%. <clears throat> the Giants are first class all the way. They are so family orientated and I mean they'll they'll bend over backwards to make you happy. I mean, it is it is one of the class organizations in the game. I'm I'm serious when I say that because from the coaching staff all the way to the front office um to the to the uh, Brian Sabian and his staff and I mean we were never ever at a loss for anything we needed so this to make our jobs easier yeah that certainly goes a long way and and you joined the organization uh, at a pretty good time you joined them in 2008 two years later they win their first World Series of yeah. what was a, a really fantastic run eventually three yeah. World Series titles in five years you got three World Series rings. What was that yeah. like being a part of a team that won not just one World Series, but but being part of an organization that won three in five years? Oh, it was incredible, Kyle. I mean, I can't even it, it, I can't even describe it how incredible it was. I mean, just being able to have the team that's good enough to make it to the World Series, and then going through the World Series runs that we went through, and um, it's just it's unbelievable. It makes you want to win more. <laughs> You know, I mean, just going to World Series games and being in the parade and um, and the Giants, they didn't they didn't spare any expense to send us up there or anything like that. So it was it was incredible. That's all I can say. It was it was just incredible. All right, Brad. So you've gone through this really long history in baseball as a scout. And really, I mean, if you go back to your playing days when you first joined San Diego State, you've been in the game in some form or fashion for you know nearly fifty years now, and and had a lot of great experiences, seen a lot of great players over the years, which I'm sure has honed your eye. I want to go to the 2020 draft. Obviously, that was a, a very, very unique draft in that mm -hmm. it shortened the five rounds due to the coronavirus pandemic. The high school and college seasons were cut short, so you got much, much, much shorter looks on guys than ever before. Mm -hmm. But being a San Diego State guy yourself, you had seen Casey Schmidt at San Diego State, and ultimately the Giants selected him in the second round. That year was a year scouts had to rely a lot on their past history with players because they didn't have a ton to work with from that current year. Take us through your with Casey, and, and had you seen him at East Lake High School? Because he was a draft prospect in high school, even though he went unpicked. What was your history like with Casey leading up to that year? No, absolutely. Uh, the first time I saw Casey was in 2016 after his sophomore year. Uh, we played summer ball. Uh, I saw him at a, a underclass showcase, and then I, I saw him play for the San Diego Show. Um, and of course, I watched him all the way through high school. And you're right; he was a prospect in high school. Um, the signability with him was a little high. I thought he probably needed to go to college, um, and he did. And he went to San Diego State, obviously. And um, yeah, I mean, this, the process started in 2016, though. I first saw him, and then the whole staff. We've got 30 follow reports on Casey Schmidt. So this is a team effort. Uh, all the way through high school, we were doing follow reports on Casey. Turned him in as a senior year, didn't didn't get drafted. Then we continued the process all the way through college. I mean, we've got 35 reports from all different scouts, cross-checkers, myself, um, scouting directors. I mean, I mean, it's just – it's incredible how the process goes from the first time you see a guy to how many reports are in on him. 
you know, and you can see the progress of how he's getting better and better each, each report. And so um, when I first saw Casey, I was impressed with his bat. I thought he had a lot of power, a uh, little, he was aggressive like he is now still aggressive. He's always been aggressive. Um, he's got power to the pull side and now he's got power to all fields. Um, and then when he went to San Diego state, I really started to notice his defensive ability because Mark Martinez and his staff, Joel, are very, um, they did a great job developing his, um, defensive tools. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I remember I, it's funny. I actually wrote him up out of both East Lake high school and San Diego state. And, you know, it's funny. I was going back and looking at my my report in high school was what's much, much, much more focused on the bat and his arm strength. Yeah. Um, but I remember at, at the time, there were some people who thought, you know, maybe the profile actually fit better at catcher just because, you know, the arm, the power, that might be kind of the profile. But three years later, when I remember writing him up and looking back at my report and, and, and talking to evaluators about that spring, it was, hey, this guy might be the best defensive third baseman in the country. Like he really, really jumped defensively over those three years at SDSU. Yeah, that's totally, totally true. My first report was more fo focused on his bat and his arm strength as well. Uh, moving moving into catcher was not an option for me. I thought third base would be his his position. And the reason that it's not a, it wasn't an option for me is because I watched Nolan Arenado in high school. He was a high school shortstop as well. And the talk was to move him to catcher because he wasn't very fast and this and that and didn't have the range. But um, I learned my lesson. Not, don't put the shortstop behind the plate quite so fast. Let's move him to third first. So that's what we did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I think with Casey that almost goes underappreciated a little bit is he was one of the best two-way players in the nation at San Diego State. We talk about yeah. the bat defense. He was a really good pitcher too. Yeah. Uh, pretty natural on the mound, fastball in the low 90s with some late life, had a pretty good splitter as well. Curveball is usable. And, you know, we saw it in the Cape Cod League where he uh, he pitched a scoreless ninth in the final game of the championship series and also hit two homers. I mean, so we really yeah. saw him make an impact on both sides. Uh, he was considered a position player prospect first, but how much did his abilities on the mound and just that that overall athleticism and ability appeal to you? Well, anytime a guy can go out and throw low 90s and hit for power, I mean, that, he's an athlete. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for athletes. And Casey was was an athlete. I mean, he could pitch, he could hit, he can defend, he can do anything. on. It. If you put him behind a plate, he could probably catch too, you know. But no, that's that's the most appealing thing about scouting is we're looking for athletes. That's the number one thing we're looking for. And so when you find an athlete like that, you try to you try to develop him into a where he's going to be more valuable to you on the team. And I thought as a position player, he was going to be more valuable to us. Yeah, absolutely. But so pitching was always an option. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I looking back at you know, hey, it's a fallback. He's as a position player, but if for whatever reason the bat stalls, he's got this fallback. Um, you mentioned, you know, you guys by this point have 30, 35 reports on him dating back to uh, high school. You've got him in high school, you've got him at San Diego State, full seasons there. You guys obviously saw him in the Cape Cod League and, and pretty impressive there as well. The 2020 draft comes around. He was considered a, a potential, you know, second, third round pick coming into the year because of all those things we talked about, that the success, the performance, the athleticism, uh, especially on hope high profile stages. 
the season gets cut short and obviously, you know, throws a lot of scouting processes into disarray. I would say just speaking generally, you know, as an area guy, how did you kind of treat that year? Did you, you know, put a lot of stock in what you saw? Because it was, it was small samples with a lot of guys in a lot of cases against non-conference weaker foes. Right. That was a rough, that was a rough year. Um, but, you know, the Cape Cod League in, in 19 helped out a lot when he, you know, he played in the Cape in 19. And uh, we only got a, a, like a handful of reports on him in 2020. Um, in fact, it was um, my uh, national guy, John Castleberry, uh, my West Coast supervisor, Matt, Matt Woodward, and myself are the only ones that had reports on him because nobody else had time to come out and see him. So my job in the draft room that, that year was to kind of pound my fist on the table and say, this guy is for real. And he's a, he's, he's a potential gold glover at third base and he's got power and he's an athlete and he's just such a good kid, just such good makeup. And I think, um, you know, that along with the uh, previous reports that we had in, um, you know, kind of pushed us to, to take him in the second round. Yeah, I was going to say, is it hard to to pound the table like that when it was such a shortened junior season? Because obviously players can change so much from year to year. Was it difficult to pound the table or not really? No, not with Casey. No, I think just the way I talked about Casey and the way I, you know, my scouting director, Mike Holmes, knew how much I loved Casey Schmidt. (laughs) By the way, I talked. He, He knew. He knew. And so he takes a lot of that into consideration. Along, uh, along with the other reports and all the reports that we've had up to that point. So uh, it turned out good. It turned out great. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you guys end up taking the second round, 49th overall. Uh, gave mm-hmm. him a pretty hefty bonus, uh, just over $1.1 million. Obviously, he didn't get to play that that first 2020 season. 2021, he went out to Loe uh, in San Jose, which was a bit of an unusual assignment. Sometimes we see college guys go straight to high A. And I remember covering him that season and, and talking to a lot of people. And uh, the defense was fantastic. The bat wasn't maybe as as loud as was expected for a college guy in low A. Um, how much were you tracking what he was doing that first year? And kind of what were your overall thoughts and reactions to that that initial pro debut for Casey? Oh, yeah. I, tr- I track all the kids I sign. I want them to succeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, the speed of the game at that, at that next level um, – it takes a little bit of time to catch up to the speed of the game at that level. And, you know, the, the pitching in the, in the low A is, it's a little erratic. Um, and Casey is an aggressive hitter. So he was probably pressing just a little bit and swinging at pitches that he probably wouldn't have swung at, but that's the job of player development to develop those guys and to help them to become more controlled at the plate and swing at pitches in their hot zone instead of just going up and wailing away. So I think yeah. he took, took that to heart and he's improved his hitting a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw that the next year. I remember throughout the year at San Jose, as much as the offense, there was some some question marks, and you mentioned the aggressiveness. That came up a lot. The defense was just so stellar. I mean, he was a unanimous selection for the best defensive third baseman in the league. I remember talking to managers in the league at that point, and they pegged him as a potential gold glove third baseman. Um, you know, the next year, the bat really, really came around, uh, 2022, uh, hit well at high Eugene, then hit even better at double a Richmond, which is a very, very, very difficult place to hit, mm-hmm. you know, so to make the adjustments to get better. How much of that, you know, was a, f- 
uh, a function of, of the makeup that you had identified early on with him? hundred percent makeup. I mean, guys, he worked his tail off going into that year. In fact, he told me his dad used to throw him BP in the backyard and they had to put up like four different nets because he was busting through the nets, you know, in the backyard. Um, I don't know how strong the nets were, but he hit a lot uh, going into the, in the, in the preseason going into that season. Um, and he went to hit at San Diego state during the fall before spring training. And he, he worked his tail off. I, I guarantee you that and that's, I think that's just, that's a testament to his makeup for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned, you know, hit it high, hit it double a, uh, finished the year with a couple games at triple a. So really jumping from high to triple a in one year after, after struggling at low a kind of shows just how much of a turnaround he had. Coming into this year, anytime a guy is at AAA, he's in striking distance to the majors. Um, mm -hmm. And over for us at Baseball America, every year I do a piece on who are some of the players that are impressing evaluators in spring training. And Casey Schmidt was the single most frequently mentioned minor league player. Uh, I can't tell you how many scouts in Arizona were highlighting Casey Schmidt as, hey, I think he's about to have a big, big year. And one of the things they highlighted was not only did the bat look as good as it had ever had, but he wasn't just playing a great third base. He was a pretty good shortstop defensively. <laughs> and I think it was one of those things. Normally we see guys, if they're a shortstop as an amateur, they move to third as a pro. They normally don't shift back up the defensive spectrum. Um, but Casey got some really good reviews as a shortstop coming into this year. And we've seen him play short. We've seen him play second. We've seen him obviously play third in the leagues. I have to ask, at any point, did you think that he might actually be able to play shortstop in the big leagues? Has he surprised you even with that? To be honest with you, Kyle, yeah, I didn't think he was going to play shortstop in the big leagues. Yeah. But he is, and that's just, a, again, a testament to his athleticism. And he's doing a good job. He's doing a really good job. I think our player development um, staff has done a really good job of improving every aspect of his physicality, you know, his mobility, his flexibility. But I, I thought that he was going to play third and that was it. But when they put him to shortstop at shortstop last year, when uh, uh, Luciano got hurt, I go, okay, this is just going to be 10 games or whatever. And we'll see. But I called him and he goes, I love this position. I, I'll, he goes, I love it. <laughs> so I think he took it to heart and um, he just, he, he just enjoys playing the game. He doesn't care where he's at. He just enjoys it. And he's going to give it 110% wherever he's at. When you mentioned that, that he he called you and, and just talked about how much he loved it. It seems like he put in the work to actually be able to potentially play there more. Again, just talking to evaluators this year, they talked about he came back looking lighter on his feet. I mean, he was always a good athlete who, who yeah. moved just fine at third, but it was even better. And, and we talk about Casey Schmidt, and one of the things that's been consistent with him is there's been a consistent trend upward, right? He was a really good third baseman who had power. And then, you know, struggles that first year, but 2022, he trends toward offensively. 2023, he trends upward offensively and defensively. Um, it, it really seems like he's a guy that it's just, again, it keeps moving in the right direction. And that's his signing scout. I feel like that's got to be pretty rewarding because I'm sure, unfortunately, we've all seen guys we believe in and then for whatever reason, they, they move backward and it just doesn't pan out. Yeah, well, as, as, a, as a scout, um, that's exactly what you want to see in a player. You want to see him get a little bit better every year. You don't want to see him stabilize because once he stabilizes, it's hard to get back on that upward trend again. So the fact that Casey's gotten better every year, even since 2016, 
when I first saw him until now, I mean, that's exactly what you want to see. Um, when I'm, when I'm scouting a player and I see a player as a sophomore, um, and he's, he's a good player. I want to see him get better his junior and senior year. You know, sometimes I'll run into players that were better as sophomores than they were as seniors. And so oh, yeah. it's just, uh, it's crazy. But, um, the thing you do want to see is a guy trending up all the time. So in case he's done that, because he loves the game so much and works so hard at it and just a great kid. Absolutely. So he gets his, gets the call for his major league debut on May 9th against the nationals at home. I have to ask, did you get a chance to fly up and be in the stands for it? <laughs> well, that's a funny story. My wife's birthday is on May 10th. And so we were actually taken at, at actually in Palm Palm Desert for a few days, and uh, I got the I got there on the eighth. I got the call on the ninth. They asked me to fly up on the Giants hotel room and everything. I go, you know what? It's my wife's birthday, so I think I'm going to stay right here and watch it on TV. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Yeah, that I think yeah. uh, th- th- there's priorities in life, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah. sure your wife appreciated it. And yeah, so I do have to ask, so you're watching on TV from your hotel room in Palm Desert. Casey's second at bat comes up. It's a home run off Patrick Horst. First major league hit is a home run in his big league debut. I have to ask, what was your reaction when you saw that happen? <laughs> uh, tears. Yeah, I was pretty excited for the kid. Um, I mean, I'm getting emotional just talking about it right now. I, I mean, I, I just, I was so happy for him and his family and all the people that had that traveled up there to to see that game, and I was just so proud. And uh, yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool moment for him. Really cool moment. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned tears and and just how invested, obviously, you were and how happy you were for for him and his family. I think that's one thing that sometimes gets lost a little bit talk about scouts just scouting players is in a lot of ways when you sign these guys you've you've been in their home you've gotten to know them as people their family as people in a lot of ways i've talked to scouts about this a lot it's it's almost like they're they're your own kid in a way just in the sense of the relationship and the bond you have and how much you're rooting for their success um yeah i mean i would imagine like you said it's just got to be just just one of the more emotional overwhelming feelings you know, really you can have for anyone that isn't a blood relative. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's crazy, uh, Kyle. I mean, I, I never knew I was in a, as emotional as I was until I became a scout and started investing time into these kids. I mean, I, when I go in and sign them, I get emotional because I'm giving my, the greatest joy I get from scouting is giving these kids an opportunity to fulfill their dream and giving them, give them that opportunity to fill their dream of becoming a major league baseball player. You know, I, I know how much I wanted to be a major league baseball player when I was a kid, and it didn't happen for me. And how it's it's disappointing, you know, that, you know, I wasn't good enough, but um, but still to be able to give these kids an opportunity to fill their major their, their dream of being a major league baseball player is is overwhelming, especially when you invested so much time in them and their family and and got to know the player and their family. And it, it's, it's incredible. It, it really is. I, I love it. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, Casey has that home run, second major league at bat, first big league hit off Patrick Corbin. Then his next at bat comes back, has a, a single, <laughs> and he just 
he hasn't stopped hitting. You know, as we sit here yeah. and record this, he's been off to a hot start. Uh, he's he's really kind of immediately established himself as an everyday player for the Giants. Sometimes guys have to take some time to work their way in, but not him. He's 14 for 32 to start his big league career. He's got four doubles, two homers. We're seeing him hit for average. We're seeing the power. He's played most of his games at shortstop, filtered in a little bit second and third. It's it's been a great start. I mean, when you just look at everything in in summation, you know what he's doing. Not it wasn't just like that that great first game and then it all went downhill. And there will be some ups and downs, but but this continued success and excellence you're seeing from him. Um, just just what are your overall thoughts on what he's accomplished and, and what it means to you? Oh, I'm just just so proud of him. I, I know he's off to a hot, hot start right now, and and I hope he can I hope he can continue it. And um, I just. I just love watching him play. I was watching the game last night and he made like three plays at shortstop. They were like, man, are you kidding me? You know, uh, almost hit one out. Um, the wind, the wind caught the ball, but no, I'm just super proud of him. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for his success. Um, I hope he can, hope he can continue it. Uh, I'm really happy for his family. And uh, yeah, I, I think we have a good one. I think we have a good one. I think he's going to stick for a long time. Yeah, and like I said, it's a long process you talked about. You first saw him in 2016. We're now in the year 2023. So it just goes to show how much time you've invested in him and the organization mm -hmm. and, and how long the scouting process is. And it's certainly nice to be rewarding in this fashion when you put this much time into a player. Yeah, yeah. It's not only, not only me. It's 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 the, uh, the other, other area scouts that have seen him, the cross-checkers that have seen him. It all it all culminates in the one, one thing in the, on draft day, and that's that's – it's a team game. So it's even the scout, even our scouting department is a team. It's a team process. Absolutely. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate you sharing your story as well as that of uh, I came to sign Casey Schmidt. Congratulations. And uh, we wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you, Kyle, very much for having me on. Once again, that was giant Southern California area scout, Brad Cameron. And uh, it's one of the things that really stands out with him talk about the dedication working for Delta Airlines as a baggage handler for eight years, finding a way to get back in the game, working as an associate scout for three years. And while doing that, taking a midnight shift in the mailroom, uh, again, shows you the dedication that these guys have. And he's obviously launched onto a very, very successful 33-year career. And, and oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, um, you know, scouting the four corners while his family is still back in Southern California, being away from his family for two years, obviously a tremendous sacrifice. He mentioned everything worked out and, and now he's had a long successful career as a scout and the giants reaping the benefits of that Casey Schmidt so far, it's only been uh, about a week, but he's been one of the most impactful rookies in baseball on um, the week he's been up and someone that again, a lot of people thought very, very highly of in high school, uh, continue to think very, very highly of him uh, during his college tenure at San Diego state and in the Cape Cod league. And, as he climbed the minors, he really, really showed that he was a, a standout type of prospect who just kept getting better and better. And now we're seeing that in the big leagues with San Francisco. Uh, once again, this has been another episode of Behind the Plate, a Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review. Let us know what you think. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on, we'd love to hear from you. For Brad Cameron, I'm your host, Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. We are off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks. See you then.